Upon reaching the room below, I found five or six custom house officers and two or three gendarmes, all heavily armed. They threw themselves upon me. I made no resistance. I was no longer master of my senses. When I strove to speak, a few inarticulate sounds alone escaped my lips. As I noticed <coughs> the significant manner in which the whole party pointed to my garments, I involuntarily surveyed myself and then discovered what, that as I lay beneath the staircase, it must have covered me. I pointed to the spot where I had concealed myself. What does he mean? asked a gendarme. One of the officers went to the place I directed. He means, replied the man on his return, that he got in that way. He showed the hole I had made when I'd broken through. Then I saw they took me for the assassin. <coughs> I recovered force and energy enough to free myself from the hands of those who held me while I managed to stammer forth. I did not do it. Indeed, I did not. A couple of gendarmes held the muzzles of their carbines against me. Sir, but a step, and said they, and you are a dead man. Why should you threaten me with death, cried I, when I have already declared my innocence? Tut, tut, cried the men. Keep your innocent stories for the judge at Nimes. Meanwhile, come along with us, and the best advice we can give you is to do so unresistingly. Uh, alas, resistance was far from my thoughts. I was utterly overpowered by surprise and terror, and without a word, I suffered myself to be handcuffed and tied to a horse's tail, and thus they took me to Nimes. I had been tracked by a customed, customs officer who had lost sight of me near the tavern, Feeling certain that I intended to pass the night there, he had returned to summon his comrades, who just arrived in time to hear the report of the pistol, and to take me in the midst of such circumstantial proofs of my guilt as rendered all hopes of proving my innocence utterly futile. One only chance was left me, that of beseeching the magistrate before whom I was taken to cause every inquiry to be made for the Abbey Bissoni, who had stopped the inn of the Pont du Car that morning. If Caderousse had invented the story to, relative to the diamond, then there existed no such person as Abbey Bussoni. Then, indeed, I was lost past redemption, or at least my life hung in the feeble chance of Caderousse himself being apprehended and confessing the whole truth. Two months passed away in hopeless expectation upon my part. While I must do the magistrate the justice to say he used every means to obtain information of the person I declared could exculpate, exculpate me if he would. Caderousse still evaded all pursuit, and I had resigned myself to what seemed my inevitable fate. My trial was to come on the approaching Assises, when, on the 8th of September, that is to say, precisely three months and five days after the events that had perilled my life, the Abbey Busoni, whom I never ventured to believe I should see, 
presented himself at the prison doors, saying he understood one of the prisoners wished to speak to him. He added that, having learned at Marseille the particulars of my imprisonment, he hastened to comply with my desire. You may easily imagine with what eagerness I welcomed him <clears throat> and how minutely I related the whole of what I had seen and heard. I felt some degree of nervousness as, nervousness as I entered upon the history of the diamond, but, to my inexpressible astonishment, he confirmed it in every particular, and to my equal surprise he seemed to place entire belief in all I said. Then it was that, won by his mild charity, seeing that he was acquainted with all the habits and customs of my own country, and considering that also a pardon for the only crime of which I was really guilty might come with a double power from his lips, so benevolent and kind. I besought him to receive my confession, under the seal of which I recounted the Orteil affair, in all its details, as well as every other transaction of my life, that which I had done by the impulse of my best feelings, produced the same effect as though it had been a result of calculation. My voluntary confession of the assassination at Orteil approved, proved to him that I had not committed that of which I was stood accused. When he left me, he bade me good courage to rely upon his doing all in his power to convince my judges of my innocence. I had speedy proofs of that excellent abbey was engaged in my behalf, for the rigours of my imprisonment were alleviated by many trifling, though acceptable, indulgences. I was told that my trial was to be postponed to the Assises following the one now being held. In the interim, it pleased Providence to cause apprehension of Caderousse, who was discovered in some distant county, country and brought back to France, where he made a full confession, refusing to make the fact of his wife's having suggestion arranged to excuse for his own guilt. The wretched man was sentenced to the galleys for life, and I was immediately set at liberty. It was then, I presume, that you came to me as the bearer of a letter from the Abbey Busoni. It was, Your Excellency. The benevolent Abbey took an evident interest in all that concerned me. Your model life as a smuggler, as he said to me one day, will be the ruin of you. If you don't get out, if you get out, don't take it up again. But how, inquired I, am I to maintain myself and my poor sister? A person whose confessor I am, replied he, and who entertains a high regard for me, applied to me a short time since to procure him a confidential servant. Would you like such a post? If so, I will give you a letter of introduction to him. Oh, father, I exclaimed, you are very good, but you must swear solemnly that I shall never have reason to repent my recommendation. I extended my hand and was about to pledge myself by any promise he would dictate, but he stopped me. 
It is unnecessary for you to bind yourself by any vow, said he. I know you admire the Corsican nature too well to fear you. Here, take this, he continued, after rapidly writing the few lines I brought to your excellency, and upon receipt of which you deigned to receive me into your service. And I ask proudly whether your excellency has ever had cause to repent having done so. No, replied the count. I take pleasure in saying that you have served me faithfully, Bertuccio, but you might have shown me more more confidence in me. I, Your Excellency? Yes, you. How comes it that having both a sister and, a, and an adopted son, you have never spoken to me of either? Alas, I still have to recount the most distressing period of my life. Anxious as you may suppose I was to behold and comfort my dear sister, I lost no time in hastening to Corsica. But when I arrived at Rogliano, I found a house of mourning. The consequences of a scene so horrible that the neighbours remember and speak of it to this day. Acting by my advice, my poor sister had refused to comply with the unreasonable demands of Benedetto, Benedetto, who was continually tormenting her for money, as long as he believed there was a sou left in her possession. One morning he threatened her with the severest consequence if she did not supply him with what he desired, and he disappeared and remained away all day, having left the kind-hearted Asunta who loved him as if he were her own child, to weep over his conduct and bewail his absence. Evening came, and still, with the patient, patient solicitude of a mother, she watched for his return.